Like many of you, we battled depression during life's ups and downs. Music has always been the one thing that we could rely on to get us through the tough times that we all face. Follow us on our journey as we discuss the healing power of music, interview bands, break down genres, review band biographies, and more. This is the When Words Fail Music Speaks Podcast with Blake Mosley and James Cox. Brosley, what's hey, going man. on, dude? You're dancing. I'm dancing. I love that intro. Yeah, yeah, me too. Doc Brass, everyone. Uh, Doc Brass is a man. Thank you, know, you so I, much for that. I dance every time. <laughs> you know, I I actually spent an hour talking with him last night, and really? it, and it did not feel like an hour. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I'll tell cool. you why. Um, okay, so for anybody who doesn't know Doc Brass, he's a finger drummer, and he did our did our, did our lovely lovely interview that that Brosley dances to all the time, and it's great. But he came out with a coloring book, okay? And so this oh, is... Yeah, you're telling me about that. Yeah, so this, this is the coloring book, y'all, okay? If, if y'all are on YouTube, you can see it, okay? Yeah. And this is a wonderful com- uh, comic book slash coloring book. It's about him um, defeating bullies, you know, that picks some people. You know, so this is a really great item. Um, everybody go to... Uh, I think it's Doc Brass at... Big, uh, uh, let me Let me go to his... Uh, that's really cool. Oh, we yeah. should have mentioned that too in our um, comic book episode that we did yeah, um, yeah. months back. Yeah, um, but yeah, but Doc Brass like like just released this, so we I, yeah. I had no idea that he was doing it. But it's, well, shame on him. He should have said something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but uh, everybody go to Doc Brass. That's D O K Brass. Dot Big Head on over to the merchandise section and buy this buy this book. And also, you'll get uh, stickers, like uh, like some stickers with the two. Cool. But I do have a question for you, Mister Brosley. Ask away. Okay, so you, okay, so you see the, the the cartoon Peanuts, right, with the Charlie Brown and everything. Of course. Right. Yes. Who was the guy that played piano? Hmm. That looked like that. <sighs> I don't think was was Linus. What Linus? He was uh, the one with the towel, right? With the dirty towel all the yeah, time. Yeah, right? with okay. the towel. Um, oh my gosh, dude, that's been bothering me forever. And I know day. it's killing but, me. It's killing me. But Doc Brass watches that show because this is a, the exact uh, replica of that character from the show. But here he's cover, he's playing on his MC. I think it's MC Schroeder. huh? Schroeder. Schroeder. That's yes, his so name. Yep, Schroeder. That's, that's what Schroeder looks like, but this is in the form of Doc Brass. So, so cool. Yeah, so everybody pick it up. It's a great book. Uh, you'll yep. love it. Um, also, we interviewed Leland Scalar uh, last week, and that's going to go up sometime soon. But he has a book called Everybody Loves Me. Okay, but And how but, can you not? I, how can you? Many we've worked with some amazing musicians over the years. We have, yeah. Um, yeah, so... um. Yeah, but it's it's called Everybody Loves Me, so everybody go to LeelandScalarsBeard.com. Because it's a, I mean, it's a fantastic beard. You know, how can you not, you know, yeah, love them just for that? Yeah, yeah but, um, cool. okay, so be forewarned that every picture in the book is, pip, uh, is a picture of, uh, of people flipping in the malls. <laughs> I'm serious. He's got, he's got so many musicians and actors and just random people. Did, hey, flick me off. I don't take a picture of me. Click. Okay. And he's been doing Question. that for years. So yes, when sir. When we talked to Scott Page, was he the was was he the one that told us about that? Yes, sir. Okay. 
Yeah, gotcha. that, that, that's right. that's how I know to look for the book. And uh, gotcha. I don't know what kind of material the 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 cover is, but it's like a mesh plush cover. Ooh. It's not like Ooh. anything else. So, Sounds amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. So, okay. Yeah. So very cool. How was your weekend? It was good, man. Yeah. Um It was uh it was relaxing and music filled, um and uh, my wife and I are. We plan on playing later on this year with uh, a friend of ours from church. Um, we're kind of starting like a little cover, like an acoustic kind of cover band Ooh. thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it, that was something he approached us about. Um, I don't know if uh, my brother-in-law, <coughs> Brian, um, for those of you who know me from Not Religious, he was my co-host on Not Religious. Uh, he may be doing it. I'm not sure yet. Um, but, uh, we, we met with Richie, our friend from church. Uh, he'll be playing guitar. Allie's going to play guitar. Um, so it was nice to, you know, see her pick up that guitar and mess around with it last week. So, um, and, uh, we're learning some songs and that's been, that's been fun. Uh, she said she's a little rusty. I thought she did great. Um, and I'm just going to be playing like a cajon. So nothing really crazy, you know, but it was still fun to just sit around in the living room, uh, with Allie and play some music and, um, try to learn some of these songs before we get together with Richie again. But uh, yeah, that'll be coming up. So anybody in Sumter uh, later on this uh, year, I'll have some more information on that. If anybody wants to come check it out um, and uh, recorded some songs uh, at church Sunday, some new videos for the YouTube. So check that out. More information on that later. Um, and uh, yeah, dude. Um, also, Oh yeah. I forgot to tell you. All right. So, okay. Um, a few months ago, a guy that used to play drums um, at my church before I started playing um, has a John Bonham styled uh, drum kit. Um, so those of you who are not familiar with who John Bonham was, he was the drummer for Led Zeppelin, right? Yeah. Point, uh, point made right Best there. Of, That's all I have to say. He's like the greatest drummer ever, according to yeah, Lord yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, absolutely. John Bonham was amazing. Um, and he had a very signature Ludwig drum set that was clear, like clear acrylic shells. It was, you know, uh, I think the most famous one was orange, but, uh, this guy's name is Mike. Uh, Mike's a really good dude. Uh, <laughs> Mike has a clear, excuse me, drum set, clear John Bonham Ludwig kit, um, that we were using for outdoor services last year during COVID. Um, when it was at its height and we were having outdoor services, we used those drums outside. And I fell in love with him. And he finally hit me up one day and he was like, I'll sell them to you. And I was like, yes, I, was like, I really don't have the money for that right now. Yeah. I said, I, I don't, I don't know what money's kind of tight right now. We just got the house and you know, we, there was a lot of things that just, it wasn't going to work out. So anyway, um, I told him, you know, I'll get back with you on that. And he, texted me yesterday uh and was like hey um i'm well okay i i need to back up a little bit i reached back out to him because i was talking with Allie, and we were she was like you need to ask mike about those drums and i was like all right i'll shoot him a text and see what he says well then he wasn't selling them anymore um so i think his son was interested in buying them or something and i was like all good man i, I totally get that no worries you know and uh so I was just kind of like, whatever, you know, and then I started like just looking around for other drum sets that maybe I would want to get in the future. Um, once I can get my shed completed and, uh, I get another text from him and he was like, 
the drums are yours if you want them. I was like, what? Okay. So <laughs> now okay. I'm, in, I'm in discussions with him about buying them from him. Uh, and uh, so I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Uh, once I can get the drums uh, or get the shed ready and I can get those drums, uh, dude, it possibilities are endless with a, with a clear acrylic kit like that. You can make so many cool videos. You can put lights on the inside of them. You can change out the different colors for the heads and, um, it's just the possibilities are endless. So what, what I'm hearing is I'm friends with the next John Bonham. Not quite. Oh, uh, I don't <laughs> but, uh, yes, I may be able to own a John Bonham signature drum kit in the yeah. future. So very excited about that. I had it, even if it doesn't work out, I yeah. had the pleasure of playing those for a few months yeah. and, uh, it was amazing. Those drums are just so nice and, uh, they sound so good. They're so cool crisp and, and clear and literally clear because they're just clear <laughs> acrylic and uh, I, I don't know it's just really they're really neat looking and I, i'm very excited if i can get those and i can start making some drum videos I, i've got tons of ideas so nice nice yeah that's 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 good to hear because it sounds like you're really excited and you can really I am. Uh, get i don't know if you're more invested in in music afterwards you get them but i mean it it just yeah Brand new things like that seem to spawn like like brand new ideas and a lot of ideas, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and and I've you know my drums that I have now, um, I had a drum set, a really I had a really nice drum set too, um, before I have the drums, uh, before I got the drums that I have now, um, it was a PV kit. I've brought this up in interviews before with different drummers. It's a PV Radial Pro One Thousand. It's the the drum kit. Um, PV went through a very short period of time where they sold, where they made and sold drum kit, uh, drum sets. Um, but they're mostly known for making speakers, amplifiers and things like that, but their drums were amazing and they don't, they don't make them anymore. So now they're rare. And now you've got people that are collectors of those that would love to get their hands on them. So at one time I had, a you know, a drum set that collectors would have paid bukus of money for had I just held on to them, you know? Right. And they were a little too much. I like more broken down drum kits instead of big, you know, all the toms. And, you know, I'm not into that. So I sold them because I just thought they were too much. And, you know, I have I, I have the drum set that I have now. It's just a really small, cheap Pacific drums uh, drum kit that um, I had painted. And so they're kind of customized a little bit. But, you know, they're, they're nothing special, like for sure. And, um you know, we, I was just talking with Allie and, and up in conversation one day and I was just like, you know, I really don't like care for those drums. Like the sound is just not that great. And if I start doing drum covers, I would want something that actually sounded good. Oh yeah. So yeah. that's whenever, you know, we started talking a little bit more and she was like, ask Mike about those drums. Get, get, if you love those drums, you need to get them. It's like, okay, so we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. And Allie's just a great person because normally somebody would say, nope, you know, we, you know, we yeah. need to, yeah, it's like, uh, so I'm so, so glad that she supports you and everything you do. And, and God bless you know, her too, because yeah. like drums of all the instruments I could have gotten into, sometimes I really kick myself for wanting to play drums, but I just wanted to be different when I was a kid because yeah. I had friends that were learning how to play guitar and things like that. Yeah. And I was like, I want to be different. I just want, I want to do something different. So I got into playing drums and little did I know they're so freaking expensive. I mean, guitars are expensive too, but oh yeah, yeah. there's so many pieces of drums and they're a, a hassle to carry around. They're expensive. Um, you have sound guys that 
like want to put you in a cage all the time because they think they're too loud when really they're just terrible drum or they're just terrible sound people and they don't know how to do sound. Is that uh, why? Okay, so so I do have a question. <laughs> okay, so I do have a question about that. So when yeah, I went to church with mom and dad back when I was in something right, they kept yeah. the drummer behind like a like a flexi cage or something. Is that yes. why they're not? I mean. I mean, does, yeah, like, so the, 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 does the tech a, not know what to do with them? So in in that sense, I I get why the drum cage is necessary. Um, but the problem is you, or it's not really a problem. If you know what you're doing and you've got them in a drum cage and you mic them and you like know how to run sound, then they're very, <sighs> very useful. Okay. Especially in a setting where you're going to be playing a lot and it's church, you know, we're not like, jamming out all the time you know it's it's more reserved but but i mean still like i can play at a very comfortable volume i don't have to like hold back um but yeah i I mean that's an ongoing debate with church drummers about like should we be in drum cages or not i i think it's necessary in a church setting but i would love to not be confined to a cage i would love to be able to interact with the rest of the band um, and yeah. not behind a plexiglass wall. So exactly, exactly. Yeah, because I've seen, yeah. I've seen like major drummers in like coliseums, you know, like in Japan. Yeah. I'm like, that's not you want to be loud. You don't want it to. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. a coliseum, dude. Come on, you know. That's why the sound man is just as much of a member of the band as anybody on stage. Yes, if they know what they're doing. They are the most important part because they're the ones that are going to make the band sound good. Oh yeah. Yeah, so it, it's it's not just pushing buttons. I mean, I'm sitting here, point point proven. I'm sitting here fiddling with this tiny little uh, mixer, <laughs> and I'm I'm over here like, okay, uh, does this sound good? And I'm just <laughs> you know trying to get it right. Yeah. But people who have an ear for sound, like Brian, my brother-in-law, he you know he can just knock it out of the park, and it helps that he plays bass too, and he can play keyboards and stuff, so he's familiar with things like that too. And he's familiar with how drums work, so he knows to dis- to pick out the difference between your hi hat, your kick, your snare, your second floor tom, your rack tom. You know what your overheads, left and right, and things like that. So, yeah, they're very important. Everything, yeah, yeah. I do have one more question for, about the drums, and uh, and we'll yes. get to our, our subjects for today. Now, I've seen pictures of the Megadeth drum kit, right? Mm-hmm. It's basic drum kit, like like all like. 14 items right and then yeah and then right above his 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 um unit is like 14 symbols just hanging down from like a rack right is that just like short off or like is there like a need for that big rack with all the symbols coming down it yes i think there is a need for certain uh racks like that that okay. if you if you do play a lot of symbols because um if you didn't and you had them all on individual stands, they would, you'd run out of space. Oh, uh, good point. Yes. On the platform. Yeah. yeah. So you would have all these lit cause the lit, the stands of the, or the legs of the stands, there's three legs. Right. Um, on them. So if you're not careful, those, those can be like just stacked up and just a mess. And then if you're running cables and stuff like that, it just, it gets bunched up too much. Right. I gotcha. So yeah, drum racks like that. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I totally see the need to have these elaborate, uh, you know, racks and yeah. stuff with the yeah. stands. Um, Chris, Adler, a lot of metal drummers. Adler, use Adler uses like it. That. 
Chris Adler uses a lot of them. I know that. Uh, the drummer for Dream Theater. Yes. Um, Mike Portnoy used to. I don't know who's drumming for him now. And then um, Dragon Force too. I think it's uh, Mike Mike Bonjani, Magani, Mike something. I saw okay. like a documentary of them searching for a new a new um yeah. drummer. So yeah. yeah. But I but I but I did see Nick Menza's um um rack and yeah like yeah. like uh, like an extra like row of symbols was just hanging from you know yeah yeah okay are good. you saying that he has a nice rack you yes. know me so well man <laughs> he does have a nice rack yeah nice rack got a nice rack yeah <laughs> so uh what is today's subject sir. Oh man! Well, today's subject I'm really, really excited about because um, it's just a fun subgenre of rock and roll music, um, and it's kind of it's kind of now become the subgenre <laughs> of more than just like straight up rock and roll. It's it's like a subgenre of punk rock as well, um, and you know how much of a punk rock fan I am. So this is exciting to talk about. Today we're going to talk all about rockabilly, um, mainly because it's not only a fun genre of subgenre of music. But the style of rockabilly has always just interested me. Um, and, like, I just want to know how much they spend on hair products uh, to do those pompadours uh, that they that the guys are rocking. It's, um, it's but, funny. But, uh, yeah, super cool. It's funny you should mention that because are you, a, are, are you a, like, a wrestling fan? I, when I was a kid, I was. But I, I'll admit I haven't kept up with wrestling in a while. Do you remember seeing Honky Tonk Man? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, he dressed like Elvis. Seriously. Mm. <laughs> and his theme song so cool. was kind of a, like a rockabilly vibe. vibe yeah. you know? And um, they also did it with another wrestler called Billy Gunn. And he was okay. he was known as the one Billy Gunn. And he came up with the guitar, you know, played it like, you know, off and on. And yeah, he had a, like a rockabilly kind of kind of theme song too. Yeah. So I guess, yeah. I guess rockabilly, rockabilly was, was all that. All the fad, you know, back in the early nineties and eighties, and you know everything. Still, yeah. you know, yeah. And you know, we can thank the the you know fans of us or those of us who are fans of rockabilly now. We can thank iconic people, and we'll get into it. But like Elvis Presley, like we wouldn't have rockabilly had it not been for the stylings of of Elvis Presley and um, several of those guys. That even some Johnny Cash, like there's there's that element that has carried over the years into what, what these guys are playing now. And there's a sound that they, they cherish from those old recordings that they want to bring back, you know? And uh, it's really cool. I'm just, I'm very, very uh, excited to get into that today um, because this is a a cool subgenre that uh, I've always wanted to tell people that I really liked and just never really got the chance. So like now I'm doing it on a public platform with you. So, yeah. uh, but, um, before we do that, do you, uh, do you want to do this day in music? Yes. Yes. All right. So yeah, let's, uh, let's do some, uh, this day in music. How about that? You good with that, James? Yes, sir. Let's go. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks again to thisdayinmusic.com uh, for supplying us with these notes that we can tell you today. But uh, yeah, so today, August 3rd, um, September's coming up right around the corner. So uh, let's see what happened uh, on This Day in Music. Um, so in 1962, John Lennon 
married Cynthia Powell at Liverpool's Mount Pleasant Register Office. He then played a gig that night with the Beatles at Liverpool's River Park Ballroom. Can you imagine that? Like, hey, I just got married, but I, I know we just got married. I got to go. I got a gig. Got to get in, you know. <laughs> So uh, then in 1963, the Rolling Stones appeared on UK TV, uh, TV show Ready, Steady, Go uh, for the first time, performing their debut single, Come On. Uh, the group made a total of 20 appearances on the show between 1963 and 1966. Um, and then in 1965, again with the Rolling Stones, security guards at a Manchester TV studio hosed down 200 Rolling Stones fans as they broke uh, broke down barriers while waiting for the band to arrive at a performance. Good Lord. Uh, in 1966, the Beatles were uh, at number one on the UK singles chart with the double A-sided um, Yellow Submarine, uh, Eleanor Rigby, the group's 11th number one. Uh, Paul McCartney said that he came up with the name Eleanor from actress Eleanor Braun, who had starred with the Beatles in the film Help. Rigby came from the name of a store in Bristol, uh, Bristol Rigby and Evans uh, Limited Wine and Spirits Shoppers. Excuse me, shippers. Uh, in 1967, Keith Moon uh, from the uh, from the Who, the drummer for the Hugh, the Hugh, the Who. Uh, enjoying a wild birthday party, Keith Moon drove his Lincoln into a Holiday Inn swimming pool. As the party had become out of control, the police were called to put an end to the festivities. Uh, Moon, ever keen to avoid the boys in blue, snuck outside and got into a Lincoln Continental limousine uh, and then attempted to make a getaway. Unfortunately, in his inebriated state, he released the handbrake and began rolling towards the pool. Moon simply sat back and waited as the car crashed through the fence around the pool and into the water. Uh, in 1968, Jimi Hendrix, um, some Jimi Hendrix news here. During a North American tour, the Jimi Hendrix experience appeared at Singer Bowl, uh, Flushing Meadow Park in New York. Also on the bill was Soft Machine and Big Brother and The Holding Company. Uh, in 1969, Johnny Cash started a four-week run at number one on the U.S. album chart with Johnny Quash, Johnny Quash, Johnny Cash at San Quentin. That's an amazing live album. Uh, the album was a recording of a live concert given to the inmates of San Quentin State Prison and was the follow-up to Cash's previous live album, the critically acclaimed and commercially successful At Folsom Prison. Uh, in uh, 1969, the Rolling Stones started a four-week run at number one on the U.S. singles chart with Honky Talk Women, uh, the, uh, the group's fifth number one U.S. single. Um, the song was written by Mick Jagger and Keith Richards uh, and was inspired by Brazilian, <laughs> Brazilian gauchos at the ranch where Jagger and Richards were staying in uh, Sao Paulo. Uh, in 1971, Diana Ross was number one in the UK singles chart with I'm Still Waiting, the singer's first solo UK number one. Uh, the song, which spent four weeks at the top of the charts, was released after BBC radio DJ uh, um, Tony Blackburn featured it uh, heavily in his morning program. 1975, Joy Division singer Ian Curtis married Deborah Woodruff, um, whom he met while uh, still in school when he was 19 and she was 18. They remained married until his death when he hung himself uh, in the kitchen of his house in England at the age of 23. Jeez, I had no idea he was so young when he died. Um, in 1980, David Bowie was number one in the UK singles chart with Ashes to Ashes, his second UK number one taken from the Scary Monsters and Super Creeps album. The song continued the story of Major Tom from Bowie's Space Oddity. 
the video for Ashes to Ashes was one of the most iconic of the 1980s, costing 250,000 pounds. It was, at the time, the most expensive music video ever made. Um, let's see what else we got here. 2008, Madonna kicked off her 86-date Sticky and Sweet tour at the Millennium Stadium in Wales. Uh, it became the highest-grossing tour by a solo artist, breaking the previous record Madonna achieved with her 2006 Confessions tour. Madonna's first venture with Live Nation was estimated to have grossed $280 million. Um, and then in 2019, Taylor Swift released uh, – I know we talked about Taylor Swift last time, but uh, in 2019, Taylor Swift released her seventh studio album, Lover, her first album after parting ways with her former label, Big Machine Records. All of the album's 18 tracks charted on the Hot 100, breaking the all-time female record for the most simultaneous entries. Lover topped the charts in Australia, Canada, Mexico, Norway, Sweden, United Kingdom, and several others. It was Swift's sixth number one album on the U.S. Billboard chart. And that uh, that was today's This Day in Music. Hope you guys enjoyed it, and uh, I look forward to those, man. I just I love like really random music facts that I can bore people with. And uh, I never get tired of this. I think we, I think you and me are the, are the ultimate uh, fans of like useless knowledge, you know? Yeah, definitely. You know, definitely. Without a doubt. Cause I find that very interesting, but like, like a lot of people was like, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, and, and you know, just, uh, that's just a taste of what I like torture alley with all the time. It's just yeah. like, Hey, did you know? And then proceed to tell her something that really she probably doesn't even give a crap about. But hey, she puts up with it. There you go. There you go. That's the best thing about her. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. There might be a lot more that I don't know about. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> that that that's that's uh, could be a good thing better. But um, I I think I finally know the name of your, of your band with Allie. Okay. Yes. Hit me. It's called Johnny Quash. Johnny Quash. Johnny Quash. Johnny Quash. Johnny Quash. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I was on mute and I left my... I, I was That's like, so oh great. my God. Yeah, so... Johnny Quash. Hey, man. That, that might be a... You know, that might be the next Trivium or something. You know, you know big, the big name. Johnny Quash. <laughs> but it's all right. It's all right. Uh, well, cool. Yeah, man. So, um, let me talk about the intro of Rockabilly. Yeah, hit us. All right. So rockabilly is a subgenre of, of rock and roll with roots uh, in the American South during the 1950s. It, as its name suggests, rockabilly draws on two primary influences, country music and rock music. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, which at the time of rockabilly, rockabilly's emergence uh, largely referred uh, to rhythm and blues or R&B. A music made by black musicians. Uh, the best known examples of rockabilly music are songs recorded for the Sun Records label. Uh, the the label's records include the the label's roster included Elvis Presley, Carl Perkins, and Jerry Lee Lewis. Some of the three of the most greatest people, greatest musicians ever. I think. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, um, those guys. Uh, like I said, what we're getting into today, um, for sure, uh, was started way back when with Elvis, Jerry Lee Lewis, Johnny Cash, um, Carl, Carl Perkins, you know, yeah, 
Carl Perkins. And uh, a lot of people don't know this, but, uh, you know, Blue Suede Shoes was a Carl Perkins song. Um, really? Before, uh, before, yeah, before Elvis picked it up and made it oh. more popular. Like, but anyway, um, you know, I actually have something. I, I don't know where it's at. I, I meant to find it before we started recording, but I got this really cool vinyl record for my um, birthday uh, last year. Um, it's it's called the the Million Dollar Quartet. Have you ever heard of that? I have not. Okay, so and um, I believe this was a. I'm trying to I'm trying to see who I believe this was Sun Records that did this, but one day, and whatever studio this is at, one day there just happened to be these four guys all at the studio at the same time. You got Elvis, Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Carl Perkins all at the studio at the same time. And completely on a whim, they recorded this album just freelance, just you know, on a piano. Elvis just sat around the piano and they sang old gospel songs and stuff like that. Anyway, they recorded it and they made a whole album out of it called the Million Dollar Quartet. <clears throat> and um, it's just really cool just knowing like the backstory of that and how it was just not planned at all. And it, everything sounded so good because all those guys were so talented. Yeah. Um, and uh, I got that for my birthday or maybe it was Christmas last year. And um, I, I can't wait to actually get the new record player that we're planning on getting at some point. And um, just so I can put that on and just listen to it for a while. I mean, I can listen to it on like Spotify and YouTube and yeah. stuff like that, but you know, just to hear it like on, on vinyl, I can't wait to do that. Yeah. I think it, for, for some albums, vinyl is the way that it should be heard. You know? Yeah, no doubt. No. Cause no I think doubt. all they had back then was, was vinyl records, you know, they, right. they, they never had, you know, a cassette, you know, what, yeah. what was a cassette back in the, in the fifties? Yeah, and yeah. especially with the the type of music that we're talking about today, yeah. like that, and we'll, we're going to get into that. But like the stylizing of rockabilly, yeah, it just it just sounds sounds good on vinyl, no doubt. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the success of those rockabilly recordings helped paved a path, uh, helped pave a path to national stardom for them, as well as other rockabilly artists. Uh, those recordings are also helped legitimize rock and roll as a form of popular music among uh, record buyers and the recording industry. Rockabilly also wielded enormous influence over many of the most important <laughs> figures in rock and roll history, such as Bob Dylan, the Beatles, and the White Stripes. Mm. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, so um, I made mention of this to you before we started recording, but there is a really, really cool documentary that's on Amazon. You can watch it on YouTube as well if you, if you want to. I can't promise there won't be a billion ads that <laughs> pop up, but... Uh, I watched it on Amazon Prime, but uh, the really cool documentary um, about rockabilly because it's more than just a subgenre of rock and roll. It is it is a lifestyle for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people that like to kind of wish they they grew up in a different time period, right? And kind of you know, they wish they grew up in the fifties with the hot rods and with uh, the type of music that they had and things like that, and. Uh, it's just it was interesting to learn about and, and especially learn about how it kind of started out in america but it got like really 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 popular like oh, in yeah. the uk and in china and i mean it's just it, it was cool to see um but yeah I've, uh i'll uh it's called it's a rockabilly world i'll share my screen with everybody so we can watch this uh if i can pull back up geez that's all right 
come on, man. <laughs> like accidentally closed out of. Oh no. <laughs> uh, yeah. Accidentally closed out of, uh, I'm trying to pull you back up. All I've got is YouTube up and I can't sometimes this infuriates me. Okay. Um, got me back up. Yeah. I'll get it pulled back up. Okay. That's fine. Um, so yeah, I've, it's a really cool documentary. I'll share my screen so we can watch the trailer for it. Um, and uh, James, I think you might uh, get a kick out of it. So, um, yeah, let's uh, check it out here. Rockabilly is everywhere. I love the energy. Rockabilly has elements of country. Rockabilly has elements of blues. You don't get any better than black blues. Amp it up a little bit, and it's rockabilly. Our music started in the early 1950s. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's kind of rockin' and it's hillbilly music. It's fast-paced and it's got a good beat to it. Three chords and big hair. That's exactly right. I had to listen to Chuck Berry and Eddie Cochran. Marty McFly is a big influence to me. A lot of people think that rockabilly is about anger or violence or rebellion. They got pompadours and their old 50s Gretsch guitars. That's not the real meaning behind rockabilly. And they're all tatted and they look like they're rebels out of the 50s. Everything's been downhill since the 50s. People had such confidence and pride in the way that they carried themselves. It's about having fun and expressing yourself. I just don't feel like you can be in a bad mood listening to oldies. It's impossible. I saw the movie Cry Baby when I was maybe eight or nine years old. I swear it was like a pivotal moment in my life. The people I work with have no idea no, what I, I do. I don't want them to fire me. <laughs> Thank goodness that the Lord forgives what we do on Saturday night, Sunday morning. <laughs> it's not just the way you look. It's a way of life. It's the dedication, those people that work hard on their cars, the women that are committed to looking beautiful and to staying to that standard. It's classic, it's feminine, it's pretty, it's sexy but not vulgar. I like the old morals of the 50s lifestyle. My real name, Elvis Presley, no. <laughs> Bloody Mary in the morning, and then it's like Jack Daniels and great pictures the rest of the day. I haven't got no wife, I haven't got no kids, I've got a teddy bear, that's the only family I got. From Japan to Australia. I play bass. And I'm from Belgrade, Serbia. Sweden, New Zealand. It is everywhere. Everything about it is so cool. It brings that goodness and that happiness, and it's something that we all share together. The 50s are the best. Forget the rich. <laughs> yeah, such a cool documentary, man. And I'll tell you why it kind of holds a special place in my heart as well. So. My dad was a big car yes. guy. Like we spent a lot of times going to car shows whenever I was a kid. I grew up going to car shows all the time. At least twice a year, we would find one at the beach or anywhere around, um, and just go check out old hot rods. Whenever I finally get the tattoo I want for my dad, that's what it's going to be. I'm looking for that traditional style of tattoo to get a hot rod for him, and um, you know, so that's one reason why I, I, I'm kind of drawn to this as well. Now I'm not like greasing my hair and all, all that stuff uh you know I, i'm not taking it that far but i do love to listen to rockabilly um psychobilly we'll get into that too um and uh kind of distinguishing the differences between those and then another thing of, of why i'm why i'm into it is because it, it from the rockabilly subgenre it created another subgenre of punk rock um called psychobilly and then you have a lot of horror punk bands that 
that kind of follow this psychobilly pattern as well with the upright bass and yeah. um it's just it's yeah. cool man it's really fun we're about to get into the spooky season right? yeah. and uh, i'm i'm listening to some more horror, horror punk right now uh just just to get me in the mood for all that because i know it's coming up and you know I, it's it's just my favorite time of year so yeah i thought this was this would be a cool one to yeah. do um uh, well but, for me uh, after seeing that um heavily tattooed guy with the uh with the with the you know with hair um uh, yeah pull back and everything are uh, really re- reminded me of um brian Sensor. you know he was the lead singer for uh three cats and then he made uh, the brian Sensor yeah. orchestra band you know and that's a, 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 yes a, and that's a very yeah, we're gonna, and we're gonna get that's into a very all that. rockabilly kind of vibe too yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, Stray Cats did a lot for bringing rockabilly back from right. the dead, and uh, we'll get into that. We're gonna we're gonna kind of we're gonna talk about the history of rock, rockabilly for a minute, uh, the stylizing and kind of what makes it different from everything else and everybody else. Um, and then we'll give you some the best examples of like kind of its roots, uh, its resurgence, and then kind of where we're at with that now into the horror punk type right. of stuff. So, anyway. Yeah, so uh, I'll kick off the history here. Um, so yeah, the history of rockabilly begins in the American South, where black and white music had cross-pollinated for decades before its inception. The various subgenres that fell under the title of hillbilly music were all built on the blues. Country was particularly inspired by the raw country blues of performers like Howlin' Wolf uh, and jump blues by artists like Roy Brown, whose "Good Rockin' Tonight" became a very uh, became a minor hit for Elvis Presley, actually. Um, in Memphis, Tennessee, radio engineer um, turned rec- uh, record producer Sam Phillips began recording black musicians in 1950. These R&B and blues recordings by Howlin' Wolf, Junior Parker, and others uh, drew up hopeful white musicians to the Memphis Recording Service, which had also served as home base for Phillips' record label, the Sun Record Company. Um, which all um, in 1953 he recorded a cover of Arthur Big Boy Crudup's "That's All Right" by a local teenager named Elvis Presley. Uh, the song was a major hit <laughs> with listeners in Memphis uh, before spreading to other parts of the South and the country at large. Uh, by the late 1950s, rockabilly made stars out of performers from all points of the globe and all demographics. Sun Records continued to produce big acts like Sonny Burgess. Uh, but then they found competition with fellow Southern recordings, uh, recording artists like Gene Vincent, as well as Midwesterners like Bill Haley and Eddie Cochran, and even Southwestern talent like Buddy Holly, and um, and then some Black artists like Chuck Berry uh, also benefited from adopting the chugging rockabilly style to their work. Um, their time in the straight in the excuse me in the spotlight proved short-lived. Um, Elvis Presley's induction into the Army in 1960 and his subsequent move to RCA Records, as well as changes in listener tastes, uh, sent many original rockabilly artists into country or gospel. Uh, but the undeniable swing of their recordings would have uh, would have enormous impact on generations mm. to come. And we're going to get into all that. These guys really did pave the way. If you're into this sort of thing, then you know exactly what I mean when I say that Elvis, Elvis Presley invented the rockabilly sound, Chuck Berry definitely solidified what it sounded like. And it was just, it was, it was especially for this, a sign of the times, you're still talking about like segregation and all this stuff is going on. And um, Elvis Presley did a really good job of kind of opening people's minds to a lot of like closed minded white people who wanted nothing to do 
with uh, black music at all, had no interest in it at all. And Elvis Presley just wanted to tap into that because he was into it and uh, really brought it to, to a white audience and was like, Hey, like, this is, this is fun. This is something that we can all unite on, you know, music is universal and we can all love it. And it doesn't matter what color your skin is. You can be into different things. Um, it's okay for a white guy to be into R and B and it's okay for a black guy to be into rock and yeah. roll music. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, and, and it's, it was just a beautiful thing. So, and it's, it carried over into where we're at now. And, uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm very excited to get into the artist right. today. I so, see. yeah. Cause, uh, Elvis is more like a, like, like he motivated, you know, you to get out and think outside the box. So, yes, yeah. absolutely. That's what everybody should do today and you know <laughs> in our culture today please, please. It, it's yeah. time to it's time yeah. to do that stop, <laughs> stop <laughs> it. cut it out y'all <laughs> yeah. yeah okay yeah just yeah. stop so let's talk about your subgenre and come back yes hmm. so several yeah. factors including the death of presley in 1977 uh, led to a rockabilly revival in the late 70s that began that that began in europe uh, fans wore 50s-style clothing, uh, collected old records, and bought veteran rockabillies overseas to festivals. Uh, a, a host of bands in the 1970s and 1980s uh, drew on rockabilly, rock, yeah, rockabilly for their sound, uh, such as Stray Cats, which we mentioned earlier, uh, which scored yeah. the three top ten hits, including Rock This Town in the early 80s, uh, Cleveland, Ohio, uh, the Cramps makes rockabilly. Yeah, Cramps, the cramps man, I love yeah. the Cramps. They they mix yeah. rockabilly with with garage rock and punk and blues, into a macabre uh, stew that gives rise to to high energy um, sub subgenre called psychobilly, which is which yeah. is what we like. Um, yeah. So the 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 nineteen nineties. Uh, saw bands that revered like the Reverend Horton Heat and Southern culture like the Skids uh, delivered an amped up brand of rockabilly uh, that helped them stand out during the alternate rock scene. Yeah. Uh, the success of rockabilly uh, groups led to not only new horror punk fueled rockabilly bands, including Necromantrix and Tiger Army, uh, but as a whole subculture of listeners. Uh, many people involved in rockabilly uh, sub subculture mixed retro greaser style with gothic gear or incorporate pinup books. And I remember, yeah, um, the, the, you know, pinup posters and everything. They, you know, they used to be all the, yeah. all the jazz, you know, back in the day. Yeah. But but I do but yeah but oh, that's man. but that's um crossing over to to the video game video game some you know culture because of yes. Fallout yeah, Four absolutely. Fallout Four has the yeah. best the best ever soundtrack you know yeah uh, oh yeah and uh and throughout the game you did see pinup girls and and like various mm -hmm. o like old school um rockabilly stuff you know. So, yeah, and 
and speaking of video games, my introduction to uh, Reverend Horton Heat was Psycho Billy Freakout, yes. the song in Guitar Hero Two, because it was so it was so fun yeah. to play. Yeah. Um, hard, I had never heard of Reverend Horton play. Heat before. Oh, hard, hard guitar, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. But it was such yeah. a classic. Had so much fun playing those. Um, dude, we've got to do a whole episode <laughs> just on Guitar Hero. Yes, please. We, we need to do yeah. a we need to do a Guitar Hero and Tony Hawk Pro Skater, like just those yes um Tony, those two like how how much influence people music Tony Hawk has, has uh, a killer soundtrack too dude Tony Hawk absolutely. one blew me away blew me away yeah 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 for sure well you know you talk you you mentioned it in here we're we're getting we're gonna get into psychobilly um and like then it's you know it's uh it's influence in horror punk and uh, Necromantics is a wonderful band. We're not going to talk about them today, but we'll, we will get into Tiger Army later. Um, and uh, I'm very excited about that because I love that band. They're wonderful. <laughs> um, but if you're wondering what the character, if you're still not familiar with what Psychobilly is, we'll tell you about the characteristics of rockabilly and how you can distinguish it from other types of punk rock music and rock and roll in general. Um, so a typical rockabilly band consisted of three to four members. He had two guitars, one electric, one acoustic. Um, just to give it that country right. feel, you know, uh, to handle the rhythm, the, <laughs> rhythm, the lead and the rhythm uh, duties, as well as an upright bass. That was the key right there. You had to have a guy that didn't just play a regular bass guitar. He played a upright bass um, and uh, to really give it that, yeah. you know, that, that sound that makes it what it is. Um, and then, you know, your typical vocalist. However, uh, well, actually, we'll get that in a second. Um, however, many guitarists like Carl Perkins also doubled as singers. Um, drumming, though, yeah, you knew it was coming eventually. Mm-hmm. Drumming was often a secondary consideration. You didn't have to have a drummer in a in a in a rockabilly band, um, you because of that distinguished sound that the upright bass gave. It played a rhythm, so you didn't need a drummer because right. um, it could serve, that bass could serve as both uh, the rhythm and the percussion. Um, just just based on how distinctive it was. So, um, but, and this is what I was excited to talk about too. The, the sound of those early recordings from sun records, they try to mimic that even to this day, the echo, the tape delay and the reverb were all part of that early, the early record uh, or early recordings of rockabilly music. The echo could be produced um, by room acoustics, like the dome ceiling of Decca record studio in uh, New York. Uh, It could also be created by an engineer if they were talented enough, um, often by sending the signal from one recording device to another to create a split second or a slapback echo. Um, those of you who are into <laughs> engineering, sound engineering, you know exactly right. what I'm talking about. Um, the sound of a rockabilly song was usually upbeat, high energy, uh, take on blues chord progression, um, taken, taken by a uh, blues chord progression. Uh, the lead guitars adopted the heavy twang of country boogie, while upright bass was often played with a slapping technique rather than plucked notes. Uh, and then when combined with the slapback echo, the sound had the raw intensity of a live performance. So then you can take your recording <coughs> and you can really re- recreate that in your live performances. Uh, I was listening to uh, Krista Makes a Podcast today and they were talking, he was talking to the singer of Story of the Year and they were talking about their song Until the yeah. Day I Die. And a uh, great song. But he talked about how John Feldman from Goldfinger produced that record and how an amazing producer, such an amazing producer that he is, but he makes it sound too clean sometimes. And it freaks bands out because they'll be like, I can't 
right oh yeah 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 he's so good at producing music that the bands get worried that they won't be able to re- recreate that live. They're like, we don't sound that good. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, but Rockabilly has the, the you can take the liberties where if, it, if it's if it got a delay in it and you don't need a click track, by all means, dude, it's okay. It, they want to create that, recreate yeah. that. So, um, but some Rockabilly vocalists like Elvis Presley and Gene Vincent uh, favored the deep overheated sound of R&B and blues singers. Uh, others, such as the eccentric Charlie Feathers, added vocal tricks uh, and ticks from hiccups to croons. Kind of saw that in the uh, the um, trailer we just watched. The one guy that was like Elvis impersonator. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Um, God, I hope everybody's watching on the YouTube know, right now. Yeah. See the Your face on yeah. me. It's great, y'all. Everybody <laughs> head on over to YouTube.com. Head on to the YouTube just to see. <laughs> <laughs> Many women vocalists, including Brenda Lee and Wanda Jackson, uh, held their own against their male counterparts. They surely did, especially Wanda Jackson. What a BA of a woman, for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, I should have done, I should have gathered some notes uh, on her, but uh, she's a really interesting lady. Um, and uh, anyway, so uh, James, why don't we talk about some of the notable, notable artists of, uh, of the rockabilly scene? I'm going to let you have the pleasure here of telling us about what not only the most famous rockabilly artists out there, but probably one, one of the most, no, not probably one of the most known and famous music artists in general. I'll tell you something right now. Okay. Uh, yeah. If my mom could have married this guy, I would be, you know, the son of this guy right here. Really? Could have been. been what well, might could have been. been wasn't though. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, okay, so <laughs> so Elvis Aaron Presley. Man, that guy great guy, great guy. Uh Jen, uh he, okay, so um he was born January eighth, nineteen thirty five and died August sixteenth, uh nineteen seventy seven. I think that he died two days before my sister was born. So that's that's really? no, before. Wow. My sister was, was August fourteenth. He died on the 16th. Oh, really? Yeah, my bad. All right. So, yeah. So, also simply known as Elvis, which is, you know, quite standard. Uh, it was an, yeah. was an American singer and actor. Uh, dubbed the king of rock and roll, he is regarded as one of the most significant cultural icons of the 20th century. Uh, he has energized his, 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 his energized inter- interpretations of songs and sexually provocative performances um, combined with singularly potent music mix of influences across color lines during a transformative era and in uh, race relations. I can't talk to you for some reason. (laughs) Um, It led them to both great success and and, and, and major controversy. Now I will tell you. Yeah, for okay, sure. so the 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 sexual content that they're talking about back then was not nearly yeah. today's standards, right? What what oh, what no, they were talking no. about yeah. back then was was swaying the hips, moving the hips, kind of. Yeah, so yeah. that was the big yeah. thing. Um, he went on. Um, oh, geez, I can't remember the name of the uh, 
the show. He went on a show. Gosh, I think it's I the um, the, anyway. the Johnny Carson one, right, or something like that. It was something, something big, like yeah. that. I can't remember yeah. Johnny Carson. It was Ed, Ed something. God, oh, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah. Anyway, he goes on the show. Um, it was his debut performance, right. I believe. Uh, or uh, and he he gets out there and he's they they show him from the waist down and he's swinging his hips and around and wild. it was just <laughs> yeah pandemonium yeah. man they freaked out and apparently he learned it all from Forrest Gump yes um so <laughs> Forrest Gump taught him something and uh he took it and ran with it and uh thanks Forrest but uh yeah he you know he was met with pretty 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 big uh controversy right yeah. off the rip there um but gosh what a icon oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. i mean he said it best man he is one of the most significant cultural icons if that uh, in, be in only the world. you know so, so yeah, it, i mean you know everyone knows who elvis is everyone knows who elvis is you know so Elvis presley's first re- recordings took place at sun records like you said earlier like a said. small independent mm-hmm. label run by uh run by record producer sam phillips in memphis tennessee uh, for several years, Phillips had began recording and releasing performances by blues and country musicians in the area. He also ran a service allowing anyone to come in off the streets and be a and for a modest fee record themselves on a two-song uh, vanity record. One one young man came to record himself as a surprise for his mother. He claimed it was Elvis Presley. So I guess that's how he yeah. got his big break, you know. Yeah. How about that. Well, and yeah. then amazing how opportunity, opportunity just, just speaks to someone in a, and he's like the world's yeah. biggest. He just wanted to give his mom a yeah. good present. Why not, right? Yeah. Well, I yeah. I think he did buy like a pink Cadillac. So that's another big gift. So the legend. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. We can't ask his mom, you know. So. Uh, yeah. Okay. So um, Presley's version of. That's all right, Mama. Uh, Melded country, a genre associated with with white culture, and rhythm and blues, yep. a genre associated with black culture. You got your chocolate in my peanut butter. Put them together. It's the greatest yeah, thing ever. Mix them together. <laughs> that is yeah. pretty good. Chocolate and peanut butter. Oh my god. Yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah. I, love it. yeah I know, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so the resulting uh, the resulting track was denied. Airplay on both country stations and R&B stations for being too black or and too white, respectively. Which is odd. Yeah. Uh, country DJs told Phillips they would be uh, run out of town for playing it. Uh, yeah, that's crazy, man. Like it, it, you get run out of town just for playing something that you love to playing do. Playing some right, Elvis yeah. Presley. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> So when the song was finally played by a rogue DJ, Dewey Phillips, we thank you, Dewey. Uh, Thanks, Dewey. Presley's recording created so much excitement, and it was described as having waged war on segregated radio stations. More power to him, man. That's awesome. What a bold move that guy made. He was like... I don't care what you guys think. I'm going to play this. This is awesome. You know, I've heard a story where... um, I don't know if you're the two could, because um, this guy had a, a he was playing a vanilla ice record at his studio um, one day, and he's like, "Man, I've been playing this song forever." Right? It was Ice Ice Baby. Flipped the record over. Okay. He played 
I would play that funky music, white boy, and that blew up, you know. So, so, uh, so you okay. never know. All, all done by Vanilla Ice. So you never know what a song can do, you know. So, right. All of Presley's early singles featured a blues song on one side and a country song on the other. Uh, both sung in the same genre blending style. Uh, Presley's sound recording featured his voice and rhythm guitar, uh, Bill Black's percussive slap bass, and Scotty Moore on amplified guitar. Slap bass had, had been a staple for both Western string, Western swing, and hillbilly boogie since the 1940s. Scotty Moore described his playing style as elimination uh, of techniques he has picked up from other guitarists over the years. Presley's unique musical style rocketed him into the spotlight and drew massive of followers, and massive they were. Because holy crap, you know? Yeah. And oh yeah, I I think you I, I think I want I I don't know if he's still the most bought bought artist ever. I don't know about that. Probably, yeah, well, no, whatever. man. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. So nobody was sure what to call Elvis's music. So Elvis was described as uh, the hillbilly cat and the western swing <laughs> of bop. Over the next year, Elvis would record four more singles for Sun Records, uh, Rockabilly. Uh, recorded by artists prior to Elvis uh, can be described as being in the long-standing country style of rockabilly. Uh, Elvis's recordings are described as by some as quintessential rockabilly for their true union of country and R&B, which can be described as true as a, as the true realization of the rockabilly uh, genre. He kicked yeah. it off. Yeah, he kicked it off, man. That was that was the start. Um, and while his, while his musical style changed over the years, I mean, it was just, you know, sign of the times he goes off to war, he makes some movies, whatever he kind of gets away from that. But when Elvis first came out, this was, this is, this was his style listening to the, these guys were listening. We're going to talk about, uh, moving forward, Stray Cats, um, Reverend Horton, he Tiger Army, all those guys like the those you can tell that's where they drew their biggest influence from those, those really early Elvis recordings, Hound Dog, um, Jailhouse Rock, all that stuff, and this, and then the style. Like, it, look at look at the iconic style that Elvis had, and what it did for this subculture. Right. Like, it it's it, it's obvious where we get it from. Um, and uh, for somebody that is just so widely known and was so popular, it's it kills me that this is still a subculture. Right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, obviously his musical, musical style changed over the years. And then he did the, he did the disco thing for a while and, it, or not really disco. It was just more like seventies, you know, and he's got the white suit and it's the, the hair and the sideburns and stuff right. like that, whatever, you know, but I mean, like, look, I mean, he was a good looking dude yeah. too. Like those, I mean, that's why he was a movie star as well. It's cause Elvis looked good. He had some great movies so too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, um, you know, my aunt was a huge Elvis fan. She had a whole room in her house, nothing but Elvis stuff. And I, you know, I don't know where any of that stuff is. Um, I'll have to ask my mom uh, after my aunt passed away. I don't know if my mom has any of that stuff, but I would love to see if there was any any Elvis stuff that she had left over. I tell you something um, funny before we move on. So, um, as I told you before, my, my mom was a great Elvis fan, right? She couldn't get enough of them, right? Yeah. 
But, but I remember, right. um, I can't remember all that was said, but my mom and your sister, Aunt Molly, argued over who was the best best act, you know, best best artist. Because my Aunt Molly yeah. loved, 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 loved the Beatles. Okay, so it was yeah. the Beatles versus Elvis, and they wouldn't stop arguing until right. my dad said, hey, well, you go, <laughs> go in your corner, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean. And you wouldn't have. You wouldn't have the Beatles right, without exactly. Elvis. And they'll tell you that yeah. too. Uh, they were very heavily influenced by these same oh, yeah. artists, yeah. Um, for sure. Um, but yeah, so let's move on to the Stray Cats. These are a fun bunch here. Um, Stray Cats are an American rockabilly band formed in 1979 by guitarist and vocalist Brian Setzer, uh, double bassist Lee Rocker, and drummer Slim Jim Phantom in the uh, Long Island town of. Uh, Massapequa? Massapequa. I don't know. Massapequa? Yeah. That's it. Sure. Uh, the group had, uh, excuse me, the group had numerous hit singles in the UK, Australia, Canada, and in the US, including Stray Cat Strut, um, She's Sexy and 17, yeah, <laughs> Looking at That Cadillac, uh, I Won't Stand in Your Way, Bring It Back Again, and Rock This Town. Oh, man, it's bop. Uh, which the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has listed as one of the songs that shaped rock and roll. Amazing. Uh, the group, whose style was based on the sounds of those Sun Records artists and other artists from the 1950s, uh, were heavily influenced by Eddie Cochran, Carl Perkins, Gene Vincent, uh, Bill Haley, and the Comets. Um, Stray Cats quickly developed a large following in the New York music scene, playing at CBGB. Oh my God, if I could go back in time and just go to one show at CBGB. That, that's it, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, Max is uh, Kansas City, uh, as well as other venues in the Long Area, Long Island area. Uh, when the Cats heard a rumor that they were a revival of the 1950s Teddy Boy youth sub uh, youth subculture in England, the band moved to the UK. They uh, then spearheaded the uh, the rockabilly revival by blending the 1950s Sun Studio sound with modern punk musical elements. In uh, terms of visual style, the Stray Cats also blended elements of 19. 19- uh, 1950s uh, rockabilly clothes as well as wearing some drape jackets uh, brothel creepers and western shirts with their uh, punk clothes um, such as tight black zipper trousers and uh, modern versions of the 1950s hairstyle so the pompadours the big you know a lot of product in their hair to hold it up a lot um, of it so instead of a mohawk yeah. they had uh, pompadours you know uh, so yeah, musical and personal conflicts began to emerge in the ways that the uh, individual members handled their newfound success. Uh, Phantom married actress Britt Eklund, while Setzer made uh, guest appearances uh, guest appearances with stars like Bob Dylan um, and Stevie Nicks, and became the concert guitarist for Robert Plant's Honey Dripper side project. Interestingly enough, uh, in late 1984, the band uh, added former BMT guitarist. Uh, and Long Island native Tommy Burns on second guitar and harmony vocals. And after a European and U.S. tour, which ended at the uh, 1984 Louisiana World Ex- uh, Expedition, they parted ways. Uh, the decision to end the band was Setzer's, and it left the other members uh, aggrieved. Uh, in an interview, uh, Setzer pleaded restlessness as his motivation. He said, uh, it's just that I just didn't get that great feeling anymore. I had five good years of that, uh, but then I got bored with it. In the last year, I just stopped getting that feeling and that great kick that twisted in my gut. Uh, reflecting in 2012, Setzer said that it was it was really silly to break up the Stray Cat at the peak of our success. 
Um, Stray Cats have since re uh, reunited periodically for live performances. Setzer is still part of his 1990 swing rival band, the Brian Setzer Orchestra, as he mentioned yes. earlier. Um, Setzer also worked as an executive producer on Drake Bell. Yes, Drake Bell from Drake and Josh. Really? He is in that documentary. He had a rockabilly album, oh. oddly enough. Very weird time. But yes, he had a rockabilly al album. Um, he only did one. And uh, it was called Ready, Steady, Go. So that's at the time of that documentary coming out, that was his okay. newest album. Okay. So, um, so, uh, uh, so Rocker continued recording and uh, touring throughout the 1990s and on to today. His albums include Black Cat Bone and Racing the Devil on Alligator Records, as well as uh, his album Bulletproof. In addition to the Stray Cats, Rocker has recorded and performed with Carl Perkins, George Harrison, uh, Ringo Starr, Willie Nelson, Leon Russell, Scotty Moore, Keith Richards, and numerous others. Rocker and his wife, Deborah Drucker, have two children and have been married since 1989. That's sweet. Slim Jim Phantom uh, still plays the drums in bands uh, like Slim Jim Phantom, uh, Slim Jim's Phantom Trio, the Jack Tars, 13 Cats, Catman, and the Head Cat. A lot of cats. Hmm. Meow. Feline. Uh, he is also an active member of the uh, Love Hope Strength Foundation, a charitable organization which was co-founded by Mike Peters of The Alarm. Uh, and it raises funds for a uh, cancer units. The band was in a, was then inducted into the Long Island Music Hall of Fame on October 15th of 2006. Uh, man, I love the stri the Stray Cats. Um, that was another one of those songs on uh, Guitar Hero 2. Yeah. Stray Cats or Rock yeah, right, Sound yeah. right. was on there. And I had so much fun playing it. Yeah, um, so fun. Stray Cat Struts, another great yeah. song. Yeah, that was a – I mean, I yeah. remember listening to a uh, – Brian, like, like one of – when a Brian Brian sister orchestra band and just falling in love with it, you know. I haven't listened to them in quite a long yeah, time. It's just yeah, 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 yeah. And it makes you happy. And I remember, I think there was, I, I can't confirm this. I'll have to watch it tonight to make sure. But there was a movie on, uh, it was a Disney Channel original movie a long time ago called uh, Alley Cat Strike. And um, it's, it's very rockabilly influenced. Like uh, those guys dressed like they grew up in the 1950s and they're really into bowling yeah. and it, it seems i haven't seen the movie in forever but it seems like they either played some stray cats music in there or maybe the stray cats made an appearance um but yeah it was oh okay i'm getting them mixed up there was i because i did just see this movie the other day <laughs> mom's got a date with the vampire another disney channel disney channel original movie there is some kind of rockabilly band. I'll have to okay. look it up. I'll do that when you're talking about okay, Reverend yeah. Horton Heat. I'll see what the band was. But another great Disney Channel like original movie from my childhood that I love that was like Halloween themed. Mom's got a date with a oh, vampire. No. Um, but there was a rockabilly band that was in that, and it was, I just thought it was so cool. I got to check it um, out. But yeah, so Stray Cats, man, they 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 were awesome. Um, you know, I would love to if they ever reunite and get together again for another show i'd love to get the chance to see oh, yeah. them live i better just be so good so good so yeah so we're gonna talk yeah. about reverend horton heat that's a great band yeah so, the reverend horton heat heat is the stage name of american musician jim heath born november 2nd 1959 as well as the name of his dallas texas-based psychobilly trio uh, Heath is a singer, uh, songwriter, and guitarist. A Prick Magazine uh, reviewer <laughs> called, called Heath the godfather of modern rockabilly <laughs> and psychobilly. 
Okay, which makes sense, right? Uh, so the group formed in, yeah. in 1986, playing the first gig in Dallas's uh, Deep Elam neighborhood. Its current members are Jim, Reverend Horton, Heath on guitar, and lead vocalist, and Jim and Jimbo Wallace on the upright bass. Just two people, okay. Um, the band signed to Victory yeah. Roads on 27th of November 2012 and released its 12th studio album, Whole New Life, on December, on, on December 4th, 2018. The band described itself as rock and roll that influenced by 1950s country, surf, punk, big band, swing, and rockabilly standards. Uh, the band mixes these influences into a loud, energetic song with often humorous, humorous lyrics, video games, cartoons, and commercials that have been used by the band's songs, giving the Reverend Horton heat mainstream exposure. And it's true, because like, like you said before, um, Horton Heat was on Guitar Hero, I think, and I think it was on some rock, rock band yeah games too probably i mean that psychobilly freakout's a crazy guitar song um i remember it just it was difficult to play but it was just so fun and we would always like pick it as a challenge and see who could get the best score (laughs) playing it yeah yeah, that was that was one of those songs good times good times (laughs) uh so his first band was 50s cover group called uh chantilly uh featuring david mcnear uh ca floors David Floors and Sarah Floors. All right. Uh, okay, cool. The yeah. whole family is in the gang. Family yeah. band. <laughs> yeah. Um, however, Heath was more into blues and not really good enough to be in a band that was kicked out. Oh. Oh. Poor, poor buddy. So, Heath <laughs> went to practicing. So, within a year, Heath played in a cover band called Southern Comfort with friends from W.B. Ray High School. David McNair, Jeff Nosey, Sam Reed, and Steve Hall, before attending the University of Texas in the fall of, of 1977. At UT, he often entertained friends and doormates and was uh, often found playing in the stairwells at Moore Hill Dormitory late into the night. He left school in the spring to join up with Touring band, touring cover band by the name of Sweetbriar. Three years later, um, formed former doormate uh, David Livingston, uh, now in his senior year of school and his home visiting family, saw a familiar face on stage and reunited with Heath. So, so Livingston told Heath stories about the punk music scene in Austin, Texas, and the ex. Play, playing at venues such as Rawls and Clubfoot. Once, uh, while at home on another visit, uh, Livingston l- l- took Keith to da- to a Dallas rock rock and roll venue, uh, uh, the Bourgeois, B I G J O E J J O U. I think that's how you pronounce it, right? Bourgeois. Yeah. Uh, to see a an act called the Cramps, one of your favorite bands, right? The cramps, cramps, man. Yeah. I love them. So after the show, a brawl between punks and rockers <laughs> broke out of the parking lot. 
While Heath and Livingston <laughs> escaped any involvement in the scuffle, Heath later claimed to have an epiphany on that evening, saying, I did not know anything about the Krantz. I thought it would be a punk rock show, and it was, except that they played The Way I Walk by Jack Scott and Surfing Bird. Birds were, yeah. I don't realize that the roots and the root, the roots, uh, rock and rockabilly, uh, that I've had grown up with all of a sudden was a crossover to the punk, to the punk thing. It gave me ideas. So I'll always a fan of the fifties blues and honky tonk. Um, Heath returned to the Heath returned the favor by talking. Livingston and his wife to see the Blasters and Dallas and at, at the High Club, the KLUB Club. Livingston would later manage the van and, and co-wrote uh, with Heath the song "Liquor, Beer, and Wine." Have you heard that song? Okay. Yeah. Is that pretty good? Because I, I I I don't think I've heard yeah, that one. Good. Yeah. yeah. Psychobilly freak out. And and later Wiggle Stick, <laughs> Wiggle Stick. Uh, that's <laughs> a, wow. Uh, I wonder what kind of what kind of uh, hash they were on. Yeah, I wonder what yeah. that's about. <laughs> 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 we're both featured in video video segments on the show Beavis and Butthead. Long live Beavis and Butthead, right? Yeah. I think I I think they're yeah. coming back. You know. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I think there's a revival. Yeah. Of the so the song I can't surf was part of the soundtrack of the video game. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3. Thrice. Three. Yeah. Uh, so published in 2001, uh, Psychobilly Freakout was used on a commercial for real American motorcycles and slightly altered version that was featured on the game Guitar Hero 2 and later on Guitar Hero Smash Hits. Uh, their song Baddest of the Bad is uh, uh, featured on, uh, on the soundtrack to Tony Hawk's Proving Ground. Yes, not as great of a video game, but I stopped still. playing Tony Hawk after still three. It. it just got too. Yeah. Really? Oh, I kept really? going, man. Yeah. I went all the way till Project Eight, and that was where I actually. I take that back. I tried to play Proving Ground, and I could not get into it. Project Eight was the last. I shouldn't say it was the last good one because I wasn't totally impressed with Project Eight. Which um, one was the one? I liked the. Do what? Which one was the one that they that, that they give you like a board to stand on and you had to balance on the board? That was one like one of the games. Uh, that was Tony Hawk Ride. Did you play it? it was like oh, okay. no, I never played That's that funny. one. Um, I think that was after Proving Ground. I really liked American Wasteland. Um, and whenever we finally do a Tony Hawk mm-hmm. episode, we'll talk about why I loved one of the reasons I loved American Wasteland. A lot of people didn't like the game, but I thought the music. Was- was the best of all the games. American Wasteland Better than one? beat everybody else. Better than really? one. And here's why. They had they had bands that were current that were doing covers of old oh, songs. So okay. had it not been for American Wasteland, I would have never discovered two of my favorite cover songs ever. Um, Census Failed doing Institutionalized by Suicide not Suicide Machine, Suicidal right. Tendencies and My Chemical Romance covering um. Uh. Um. Oh. Oh my God. Astro oh, okay. Zombies. Uh. Yeah, by the yeah, Misfits. Yeah. 
Uh, and uh, it was just so fun. And like, you know, they had Green Day on there and Thrice and all these great, great bands. And I loved American Wasteland. But anyway, we'll we'll, we'll dive into that more when we get yeah. into our talk episode. But in yeah. 1997, when I was 17, <laughs> uh, the there video game Redneck Rampage included two of their songs, Wiggle Stick and Nurture hey. My Pig. Easy, easy. Nurture my pig. What? They had to be <laughs> also kind of pig. like, I don't know, some kind of drug kicker. I don't know what's up with these names for these songs now. Okay. He's a strange guy. He is a strange <laughs> yes. guy. But um, a but, genius. Um, a genius is always weird, guys. So. Yeah. Yeah. But always. the song Big Red Rocket of Love. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, I wonder that's what that's about. Last <laughs> uh, featured in the video game Motorstorm, great game, and slightly altered version of the song was featured in the 1999 TV commercial for Mazda Miata. M I A T A. The Mazda Ma- Miata. I'm, I'm, yeah. Okay. Mazda Miata, man. They um, they yeah. This this right here. I guess big old red uh, red rocket of love is very fitting. Yes, because that's a red car, right? Yeah. Miata. But hey, yeah, yeah. yeah. My I can't believe I I read that wrong. Anyway, all good, dude. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the uh, the song "Pride of San 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 Jacinto." San, San Jacinto, thank you. It's featured on the video game Hot Wheels Turbo Racing. The song "Let nice. Me Teach You How How to Eat." Was featured in a two in a, in a two two. Oh, I can't even talk to you right now. Uh, the two the, the <laughs> 2017 subway commercial. Let me teach you how to eat. That's like a very. Gee, I wonder that what that's song. about. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very wholesome music. It was a very quite very of a horn dog. Would you say so? Yes. I would say so. And he's a reverend. Oh yeah! So. <laughs> wow, that's that's a whole lot about him, right? So. Anyway, <laughs> so that's so well, that's cool. Reverend Horton Heat. Yeah, out. so that's Reverend yeah. Horton Heat, man. Psychobilly Freakout. Um, but I, this next band, oh my gosh, I I don't know if you're familiar with Tiger Army at all. Um, I might have heard of them. Okay, well, they I, I was introduced to them on a 2005, I think it was 2005, Warp Tour compilation right. album. Uh, I only own two of those, so it's either 2005 or 2007. I'm pretty sure it's 2005, uh, where they they were featured on one of those, and um, I just I it drew me in. Uh, it was different sounding. Um, I thought the I thought the guy sounded a lot like Davey Havoc from AFI. In fact, I thought it was AFI at first until I noticed that they sounded a little more. It, like you could hear the upright bass kind of chugging along and I was like I don't think that's AFI they didn't really do that but uh, yeah I got introduced to this band through that compilation album and fell in love dude like I, I love this band so much um, never seen them live I would love to I think they're still touring and, and got some new music in the works but um, Tiger Army is an American psychobilly band based in Los Angeles California oh we didn't re- I didn't realize we didn't get really really get into the psychobilly thing okay so here's what happened with rockability. When it, you had its resurgence in the 70s, what also was really big at the time, especially in the UK, was punk rock music was making it its its uh, debut, right. right? So 
this subculture of rockabilly is starting to get really big in the UK where punk rock is also kind of blowing up and they just took the two styles and put them together. And that is what people consider psychobilly. Psychobilly is a subgenre of rockabilly, which is already a subgenre of rock and roll music. So you just kind of have to, and then in a second, we're going to get into another subgenre of that subgenre. Um, but uh, you, this is uh, tiger army is more of like a punk rock version of the, of the, the rockabilly stuff. So okay. psychobilly anyway. Yeah. You still with me? Yes. Good. <laughs> Uh, so the group was formed in 1996 in Berkeley, California, um, and its only constant member is singer, guitarist, and lead singer Nick Thirteen. Uh, they do have some horror punk elements in there, although I don't really think that they consider themselves to be a horror punk band. But anyway, the band has released six studio albums and four EPs. Tiger Army played their first show at the famous 924 Gilman Street. Um, I believe that's where Green Day played their very first uh show together oh, nice. way back yeah. in the day um in berkeley california right. uh on march 29th of 1996 the band's uh sound drew from early punk rock and roll and rockabilly as well as dark english pop their first official release was a self-titled vinyl record ep now referred to as the temptation ep the record was released by chapter 11 records uh this ep caught the attention of tim armstrong of rancid uh, he was also the co-owner of Hellcat Records. Uh, Armstrong then signed the band. Um, so, oddly enough, Tim Armstrong's another one of those people with a record label where he's just like, get on my label. and I like your music. Let's let's put it out That's an something. album. Um, so, uh, yeah. Tiger Army recorded their first full-length, the uh, self-titled, uh, self-titled album Tiger Army in January of 1999. It was released later that October, and then a stand-up bassist, Joel Day, then left Tiger Army before he was signed. Um, so the Quakes uh, stand-up bassist, Rob Peltier, uh, was then hired to play on the album. Drummer Adam Carson of AFI, um, who had been helping out the band live, played on the record as well. The band then embarked on a California mini-tour promoting the album in 1999. In 2000, Nick 13 asked former uh, AFI bassist Jeff uh, Kresge, uh, one of the former bandmates from Influence 13, uh, to then join Tiger Army. And then ex-Sawin drummer London May came on board as well, Sawin being the side project that um, Danzig. Danzig started after he left right. the Misfits. Um, in the spring of 2005, the band headlined a string of five sold-out shows at the Hollywood uh, House of Blues. following year, the band sold out four nights of the, the Anaheim House of Blues. They also hit the road with Morrissey and AFI <laughs> uh, and then performed several uh, headlining tours around the world. This is where they really started to blow up. They're, you're going on uh, tours with bands like AFI, which at the time, um, this is this is around the time that AFI was, Sing the Sorrow was out, so they're already re really big off of that. But I, this is around the time that December Underground was about to come out, so Miss Murderer is about to just blow up everywhere. And uh, if you've got plenty of emo kids coming out there to check out AFI because they want to hear Miss Murder, uh, then uh, they're getting exposed to some, someone like Tiger Army. It's just, it works, right? right? Um, so then Tiger Army made several um, major, by the way, it just hit me. It just hit me which compilation album that was. It was the 2007 Warp Tour compilation album because I remember Alternative Press had a special warp tour edition that they would put out every summer um and i remember you had two different editions you could get 
uh, of which I still have at my mom's house somewhere. But it was uh, just kind of showing off who was playing the World Tour that year. Haley Williams was on the cover because Paramore was really big at the time, uh, right alongside other big like emo bands of the time, Fall Out Boy and stuff like that. But the singer of Tiger Army was on the cover of Alternative Press for that Warped Tour lineup. I remember that. 2007. Got it. Got it. Bam. Anyway, Tiger Army made major festival appearances across the U.S. and Europe in support of their fourth album titled Music from Regions Beyond. Amazing. Amazing album. The album was released on uh, June 5th of 2007. It was produced by Jerry Finn. Um, Forever Fades Away, which is a wonderful song, went to number one on Los Angeles rock station K-Rock. Um, of which Tiger Army performed later on Jimmy Kimmel Live. And it also, uh, at radio festivals like BFT, uh, publications like New York Times, who said Tiger Army's moody new CD, Music's from, uh, Music from Regions Beyond, was one of the year's best punk albums. And then Spin, uh, Spin Magazine covered the band for the first time as well. So really getting a lot of exposure for a subgenre that has not been in the spotlight in a very, very long time. But it's because of those punk roots that and the uh, the emo subculture that was also getting really big at the time kind of embraced Tiger Army for a little bit, even though it was very different from the bands that they were touring with, like AFI and right. whoever. Um, but uh, yeah, they they definitely got their exposure and they definitely got their name out there. So more power to them. Um, Tiger Army Tiger Army's sixth full length album, uh, Retro Future, was released on September. Of uh, 13th of 2019 on Lunatone uh, Records slash Rise Records, which is interesting because Rise Records is usually like a metalcore album uh, uh, record label, excuse me. Um, so interesting that they, they would release Tiger Army. But anyway, the following month, the band played two sold out show, uh, shows at the Wiltern. Uh, we're going to talk about the Wiltern in just a little bit too, uh, in Los Angeles for October Flame X. Uh, supporting acts included Brian uh, Brian Fallon, formerly of the Gaslight Anthem, another one of my favorite bands. Uh, the uh, the Delta Bombers, Wayne Hancock, and Eight Calicas. Wow! So yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's Tiger Army. God, I freaking love that band. Um, but uh, please go check them out. Um, I can't tell people enough about Tiger right. Army. I introduced Allie into them, and um, and um, uh, Afterworld is is definitely like a song that's special to us. Um, it's a great love song and, uh, it's also very emo and moody. So that's cool too. But, uh, yeah, great band. So the next band we're going to talk about is I, okay. So Blake's heard of them. I have not. So this is a brand new band that I've not heard of yet. We're all right. So we're really, really getting into the, uh, the horror yes. punk psychobilly subgenre. So it's like the next level of, evolution of this subgenre that's already an evolution of another one so and there's probably going to be another six in the coming so if decades. this was a movie this is the like the final boss <laughs> yeah, this is the final boss in our psycho in our psycho billy yes. episode the yeah, final so boss. it's called the horror pops okay that's horror yeah. pops. so the horror pops were are a danish horror punk band that formed in 96 the band's sound is rooted in psychobilly, rockabilly, and punk rock, which Blake here just kindly said to us. Uh, so yes. the band founders, Patricia Day and Kim Nickerman, yeah, um, first met when they, when Day's now defunct band, uh, the punk rock group uh, Peanut Pump Gun, 
I love that. Uh, open for Necromancer's Psychobilly Band, uh, Necromatrix. At the Popcom... Necromantics. Necromantics. Did, what, did I say... Okay. Necromantics. They're... I wish we would have had time to go into them as well because I love right. that band. Um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of really great horror psychobilly punk bands that's that's kind of come from this time period as well with Tiger Army and Horror Pops and Necromantics. You got Coffin Cats, uh, Zombie I've heard Ghost Train. Cats. I, I think that um, uh, I, I think yeah, so, I think Calibri has interviewed some of the uh, yeah. yeah yeah great dude yeah so yeah Davy Calibri's is is like friends with these these guys so even though like calibris is not a big uh they're they're not a a, a psychobilly rockabilly punk horror punk band they're just straight up yeah. horror punk um they tour a lot with necromantics coffin cats, zombie ghost train yeah. um coffin cats all those guys so yeah so despite bl- both belonging to the subculture scene of copenhagen Denmark, uh the two had never met before but they became friends over time and their mutual interest in alternative music. The two would eventually marry. Okay, good. Sweet. Yeah, about that. So uh, the two both loved Blondie, Depeche Mode, and uh, Susie and the Banshees, I believe is how you say that. As well as Surf, Scott, and Punk. Okay. Okay. they and Necroman yeah. uh, d- decided to form a band where they could experiment with many genres outside of their normal bands and decided to start by switching instruments. Necroman taught Day how to play yeah. the up at the upright bass while she taught him how to play the guitar. Uh, the two began auditioning for uh, drummers uh, with Necromantic's guitarist Peter Sandorf even being a possible choice. They eventually chose... Um, well, help me out here. Niedermeyer. Uh, to drum. Niedermeyer to, <laughs> to drum. A friend of Days and a member of the band Strawberry Slaughterhouse. Ooh. What a yeah. cool name. <laughs> kind of spooky, kind of, you know, I want some strawberries. Come in here. Kind of strawberries. It's kind of like it, you know. They all float down here. Do we yeah. come inside the slaughterhouse and they'll... You'll float too. You'll float too. <laughs> <laughs> Allie does a really good impersonation of uh, of Georgie from It saying oh, that. So gotta get her on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they officially started the Horror Pops in 98. After touring for a while as a trio, the band recruited Niedermeyer's old bandmate Cass The Clash as a second guitarist. What an awesome name. Yeah, Kaz the Clash. What a cool guy. So, jumping forward a few years later, and the Horror Pops ventured out, out of, outside of their first U.S. tour as headliners uh, for the Aloha from Hell tour <laughs> with nine shows across California yeah. and Arizona. They also brought their first U.S. interview uh, to Horror Pops, which happened to be with Vogue. I guess that's Vogue, Vogue magazine. Yeah, how about that? Of all the magazines to talk about a horror punk right. uh, psychobilly band, it was a Vogue magazine. Yeah, which is strange, you know. But later later yeah. that same year, uh, the band got a great preview of their upcoming show with Rancid and in LA Weekly and 
a show with Rancid and Tiger Army at the Wiltern LA. Okay. Um, yeah. So this show brought the horror pops out uh, out to a long new, uh, like they got they got um, you know noticed by a lot of people. Uh, so they yeah a lot like, of exposure. They even signed to Hellcat Records, uh, Tim Armstrong's record label in 2003. And like we said before, Tim uh, yeah, Tim Armstrong the, is the lead singer for Rancid, correct? For yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the, the the band saw their biggest success from 04 to 08, embarking on several big tours with several giant punk acts, including uh, The Offspring, Lars uh, Fred Roxon, and The Bastards. And yes, he's also from from Rancid. Okay. He's the other guitarist and vocalist, Lars Fredrickson oh, nice. and The Bastards. And they also went on tour with mm-hmm. The Pink Spiders and spent many summers yeah. on the Vans Warped Tour. Yeah, dude. I wish I would have had the opportunity to yeah. see them. Um, it would have been so fun. My oldest sister Greta, uh, we've we've had several conversations about horror punk, and she's just not, not into it. And I mean, I get it. She's just not into <coughs> horror punk. She knows a little yeah. misfits, um, but she is she's not a big horror punk fan. Um, but she actually really likes the horror pops. That was the only she said that was the <laughs> only band like- of that like era that she could really get into. She really liked the horror pops, and she was hoping she knew they were warp tour veterans. And whenever I went to my first warp tour, it was with my oldest sister Greta, and um, she was really hoping that they yeah. were going to be there. Yeah, they, they weren't there that year, unfortunately. And I think they were kind of in their midst of the hiatus oh, okay. at that point. But yeah, speaking yeah. of hiatus. Uh, so while the band hasn't released new music since 2008, the band is still active and recently released a live album this year titled Live at the Wiltern. Okay. Yeah, see, yeah, it keeps I, coming back up. Yeah. The Wiltern, man, it's it's where they kind of got their start, Tiger Army uh, as well, and you know now they're... Uh, so I guess... Uh, that's so, the, so I guess the Wiltern is kind of like the CBGBs, maybe? It yeah. must be, yeah. It must be a pretty yeah. big deal. I've never heard of the place, but it, it just kept yeah. coming up when I was yeah. gathering notes on nice. this. So, so on twenty uh, third of December 2018, 2010, I'm sorry, uh, Patricia Day filed uh, filed a lawsuit in Indianapolis yeah. Federal <laughs> Court against the Hard Rock Casino, charging infringement of the right of publicity and false endorsement. In her lawsuit, the horror pop singer claimed. Uh, Hard Rock and, and and Mattel has been selling a Barbie doll in her image without her authorization. Oh, <laughs> uh, so uh, Mattel and Hard Rock have been released uh, a series of Hard Rock and Roll themed Barbies, featuring pioneering female musicians such as Debbie Harry of Blondie, Joan Jett uh, or Cindy Lauper. Yeah, I don't want to talk to you, Siri. Um. Siri's talking to me for some reason. I don't like her right now. Go yeah. Away. Um. So in this lawsuit, it is alleged that another doll called the Hard Rock Cafe Barbie doll, or the Rockability Barbie, is made in the image of the horror pops lead singer, but without direct acknowledgement of nor mission, uh, or of not not permission by Patricia Day. So I guess they're still. Trying to trying to settle that, maybe. Okay, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna share my screen with okay. you again, uh, if I can get this to pull up okay. correctly. Jeez, it's doing that thing. Oh, again. don't worry about it. 
keep going. I'll uh, I'll. Uh, well, well, the, yeah. You've already read the. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. I mean, give yeah. me just a second because I'll show you. Need, boss. Um, I, I, I got you. I got you. Jeez, can't get this thing to work right. Okay. All right. <clears throat> so James, I'm going to share the screen uh, with you so you can see what I'm talking about. And if this goes on the YouTube channel, you guys can also see what we're talking about. Um, but uh, this is just a, for comparison of what she, and, and I mean, with <laughs> like, yes, I 100% oh, yeah, understand where she's coming that's from. Definitely her. Um, this is on a uh, fun fashion law Friday. Um, let's just trying to blow this image up here anyway um yeah so this is this is what we got going on here she she definitely like look she's even got the upright yeah. base it's covered in all these like graphics and things like that very similar um to how uh I've actually, how okay, the horror pop okay yeah you know? so i've seen her before but i okay yeah okay yeah 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 so that's the horror pop so yeah like with <laughs> It's very understandable why she would have, yeah, that's reached out yeah, that's, to Mattel and been like, "Hey, what the crap? That's me! Like, what are you guys doing? Her. Like, I mean, you yeah. didn't, yeah, like, who else would you possibly model that off of? I but anyway, so. who knows? But yeah, so uh, that's horror punk, man, or not horror punk? That's rockabilly. It's just so fun. It's a it's a fun subgenre. Um, I in preparation for this episode today, I found several playlists <laughs> on Spotify that, uh brought me back to a lot of bands I hadn't listened to in, in a while. And uh, it's just, it, it's so fun because it can span so many different decades and uh, even so many different genres because Elvis would pop up on one and then, you know, horror pops would come up on another one. And it's just, it's just fun. It's just, uh, it's, you know, if you're reminiscent, like I am of like the, the days I spent with my dad at the car shows and like, looking at old hot rods and when i see one i think about my dad it was just why well, i really i really want that tattoo i want that old traditional american style tattoo right. that so many people in the psychobilly and rockabilly subgenre like to get tattoos of uh it's just uh it's it's got a special place yes. in my heart so yes. um it was fun kind of diving into the history of that uh with you and with our listeners and maybe we introduce you to some bands you never heard of before. yeah i mean check them all out because um uh, yeah. getting music is is getting much more easier you know you got you got uh yeah. digital stuff and like apple music and spotify and you got your right. your local record store you know maybe they can carry this or or get it for you you know so just yeah. a, just ask Absolutely. your local uh music music man if he can get it made for you and scratch his hand yes sir miss eric here i come <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know so it's good, good stuff, good stuff. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah. So we just want to thank y'all for listening to, to this episode. I think it's, I don't know what what episode it is, but it doesn't matter because I mean you're listening to it right now. Over, yes, we can't even keep yes, track. Yes, we are. Yeah, it it's been crazy, good man. Times. But so many, so many ideas of what to do next yeah. too, and yeah. um. Guys, stay tuned for our Halloween episodes that we've got planned coming up. Those are going to be a lot of fun. Um, the YouTube channel will be fun for that too. I, I, I've got some ideas, James. I'm going to run across with you um, for the YouTube channel for Halloween. Uh, for the, some special Halloween, in addition to our episodes that we're putting out weekly, like just some extra content for you guys. Um, just because we're coming up on a really fun time right. of the year. But hey, so, before we do that, um, why don't um, uh, we ask you uh, to please rate and rate and review our podcast as it helps us in the future. 
And you can uh, find us on all social media, including, but not limited to, Instagram at When Words Fail Podcast. Facebook is WWFMS Podcast. Twitter, When Words Fail MS. And you can always contact us and tell us how you like our show or what could we be doing differently at When Words Fail Podcast at gmail.com. Like we said before, if you want to. Go to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash when words fail music speaks podcast. Uh, and if you don't want to deal with your phone by listening to these amazing podcasts, uh, go to when words fail music speaks dot com. Also, we just released a, a, a site full of our merchandise now. So I yeah. do have a, I do have yeah. a link for you. You can click the link below at the description or go to T that's T E E dot pub slash L I C slash when words film music speaking merch. You'll find uh, shirts, masks to wear, um, laptop bags. Um, I think it's baby clothes or something. Uh, yeah, baby I mean, clothes, who doesn't yeah. like babies, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, and if you don't like babies, then I mean, oh, yeah, cool, but <laughs> right, yeah. you, and you happen to have offspring yeah. of your own, then uh, by all means. Give them a when words fail music speaks well, you shirt, do, you know, and uh, they'll uh, they'll uh, they'll enjoy that when they go to the day uh, when they go to daycare or they go back to school or whatever the kids yeah. are doing yeah. these days. Um, and tell some people about our our yeah. show. But all the links will be listed below in the description, so just click away to your uh, intent and uh, yeah, just check us out, man. It's good times ahead, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you can also uh, check out me on the Instagram and the Twitter. It's Blake at Blake underscore Mosley, M-O-S-E-L-E-Y, um, for uh, my uh, my stuff. I'm trying to be more active on Twitter. I'm really, really trying. I was. It, I think part of the reason why I don't stay as active on Twitter is because it's extra mm-hmm. work. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I can post something on Instagram and it automatically posts it to Facebook. Well, it's, too, it's, the, it's not only that you have like multiple – uh, like like social media accounts, you know, it's like which because yeah. I forget the, the about the Twitter one a lot, and I'm like yeah. I need to come yeah. back here because I'm more focused on my Instagram page, you know. So, right, and I don't have a lot of thoughts that I can like tweet something. Like mostly, if I'm gonna post something, it's it's the picture yeah. of something right. with a thought. So you know, and I've tried connecting my Twitter and my Instagram, but like the picture doesn't come across. It comes across as a, a link to Instagram instead of the picture yeah. itself. So I'm, but you know what? I'm gonna what I'm gonna do is if I'm gonna pay, if I'm gonna make a post to Instagram, it's gonna go to my Facebook. But I'm also I'm just gonna make a separate post for Twitter because I want to use my Twitter yes. more. I need to utilize it more. Um, and uh, be more active on that. So I'm working on that. Um, but I am more active on my YouTube now. So uh, check out my YouTube, youtube.com slash Mosley, M-O-S-E-L-E-Y-Y-Y. Um, check out some drum playthroughs that I'm doing at church. I've got some audio now um, featured into uh, into the mix. I'm still working on that mix. So bear with me as I kind of figure out what sounds good and what right. doesn't. Um, but uh, yeah, just a cool way for you guys to check out what I love to do. I love playing drums. And um um, pl- playing at church more than anywhere else right now, so you know I just kind of use that as an opportunity to make some videos and get some content out. Cool, there. man. So, yeah, yep. dude. So just thank you once again, and always remember when words fail, music speaks. Yo, guys. Bye, everybody. <laughs>